Hey everybody, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up for this week. It is a Monday, which normally means it is me, the microphone, and you. But I have a treat for you today. I have a very special guest coming on to the show. So when I started this podcast, and it was called Scale Up Your Business, I had a gentleman reach out to me who had taken a business from, let's call it small beginnings, only a few employees, all the way through to hundreds of employees, and a very impressive scale-up journey, I might say. He reached out to me and said the stuff that I was talking about resonated with him, and it wasn't just the various business ideas, experiences, that sort of stuff. It was the fact that I talked about mindset quite a lot and identity and how you need to show up yourself first before you can really take a business to being something quite spectacular. So you're about to meet in a second, Mr. Brendan McGurgan. His journey is incredible, not just in terms of what he has done to scale a business to to very, very lofty heights, but also his own personal journey. And he has just written a book, actually, which is called Simple Scaling, the 10 Proven Principles to 10X Your Business. And I thought, well, listen, why not bring another person who's a geek around scaling onto the show, who is also a good friend, and we can go backwards and forth on all the things you need to think about to successfully scale your business. Our vision is to inspire, connect, and enable millions of ambitious leaders of SMEs to scale with purpose, because ultimately the impact that these that these companies have on their on their teams, on their organizations, on their communities, and society, and economic, you know, the economies at large is significant. So there you have it, a little bit of a bonus one for you today. Wanted to bring this guy on for some time. Now is the time. So welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Brendan McGurk. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up for this week, another Monday episode where we're going to get into your business challenges, opportunities, all the things that you want to learn how to scale and grow your business. But it's not just me in the mic today. I am joined by my good friend, Mr. Brendan McGurgan. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much, Nick. Look, it's an absolute delight and honor to be here. Delighted to share your monthly episode. Well, we're going we're gonna to go backwards and forwards on a few different principles today. But before we do that, why don't you tell everyone how we met? Sure. Well, actually, you're part of the inspiration for what I'm doing now in relation to our ScaleX Insider podcast. I reached out to you probably about three years ago to acknowledge your podcast. It was probably about four years ago, actually, that I... Get on to Apple. You were on the early days. I must say, you're one of the early guys who got (laughs) in touch. And it's it's interesting because I went on to a podcast. I hadn't heard about kind of podcasts or the value. I didn't appreciate the value in podcasts, in listening to podcasts. And Mm -hmm. and I'd been listening. I I, I went into Apple, uh, search scale. You came up, started listening. I thought, wow, this is fantastic. This, you know, real value. And I can access this just as I'm traveling to work, coming back home. And then I, I reached out to you, acknowledged the work that you were doing. I'd listened to some brilliant early episodes and said, well, why don't we jump on a call? Actually, this was probably six months after that. And, <laughs> That's uh, when I had time when I could speak to everyone. But <laughs> there was a point, like one of my clients said to me the other day, they said, oh, do you remember when you used to do like those calls with people? I said, oh yeah, when was that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for everyone listening, but there was a point in time where it was less frenetic. Let's just say that. <laughs> 
Yeah, so we, we, we jumped on one of those calls. That's what I was reflecting actually before I came on. I suspect that you're not as um, freely available or you've less capacity to jump on calls now, but you you really were generous with your time. And I'll, I'll re- never forget, you asked me a question at that stage, and that's probably about two and a half years ago now. Yeah. And it's a question that, that I had previously pondered, not in how you articulated it, and it's one that I always use with my clients now. And it was, if we made up in three years, and it's almost three years, and you tell me that it's been the best three years of your life, both from a personal and professional perspective, why would that be? And you just went silent. And I looked at you. And I, <laughs> I remember that question. I remember us having this conversation. And you did look at me in a blank way as if like, <laughs> kind of, I can't, well, actually, you had a few different ideas about what yeah. you wanted to do. So yeah. it wasn't like unclear. Yeah. And, but it, it gave me, it, I journal a lot. And I've been journaling a lot up to that. And that question really gave me the, the clarity I needed in terms of a question which directed my attention. And two and a half years in, I have to say, kind of, we can join the dots backwards now. I am absolutely loving life. And really, you know, if I could have created the clarity around an answer to you at that point in time, uh, it would be what it is now. So awesome. <laughs> good to, good yeah. to hear what, good to hear the power of a question can change everything. Absolutely. There you go. So Brendan, Brendan is actually a bit of a scale up guru himself um, from the, let's call it from the, the coal face of scaling up. In other words, he's actually been in there and done it, <laughs> which is pretty damn good. So we're going to get into that in a second. He's also written quite recently this book, which I'm holding up for everyone who's going to see this on YouTube, which is called Simple Scaling, the 10 Proven Principles to 10X Your Business. And we're going to go through some of those today. And we're going to focus on one that we want you to take away at the end of our conversation and put into action in whatever way you choose to do so. So that's what's going to happen. So, Brendan, let's go through firstly, you know, your experience because you were pretty successful taking it, scaling a business, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And then you decided to obviously get into this world similar to what I am, helping business owners um, scale with impact. Sure. I'll go back. Actually, I'm, I'm a qualified chartered accountant. and I, I didn't know it. that. You're not allowed on the show now. <laughs> I know. I oh, don't, my God. But I say that to people and I say, look, but I'm all better now. Uh, I've had my corrective surgery uh, and therapy. The, and I became that. It's actually interesting. My father had to leave school at uh, 16 because his father had died, passed away suddenly, and he, had, he was the eldest in the house, and he had to mind the house. And, and he... Went into the admin function of a small business and at that stage, and and actually became the bookkeeper and an accountant. Never qualified an accountant, but I he used to bring home the big green ledgers, and and I would sit at the end of the table actually, and he would allow me to, he would call out the numbers, he would allow me to put them into the calculator. I thought that was fascinating. And he used to say to me, "Someday, son, you'll be a chartered accountant." And I had no idea what a chartered accountant. I don't have anything to say now, Brendan. <laughs> and trust me, for all my all my CPAs and, and accountant friends who love this show, I've got nothing against you. In fact, we love you guys. But like, well, oh my God, how do you well, do what you do? Well, 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 what it was, Nick. What I discovered is it's I love business, and what it what it is is a wonderful passport into business. So I went into Coopers and Library, now PricewaterhouseCoopers. Yeah. The moment I qualified, I was straight out. It was during the late 90s, early 2000s. So I went into what was then a significant scale-up, but scaling wasn't a thing. As you know, it only came into the business lexicon in the last kind of seven, eight, nine years. And uh, it was during the boom and bust. I headed up the finance function of a technology company. We scaled that up with offices in Hong Kong, US. And I was in my kind of mid-20s, and this was 
crazy stuff, sure options and, uh, you know, crazy forecasts and all of that good stuff and venture capital money and dealing with all of that in, in my early 20s was, was an amazing experience. I, that was kind of had exposure and mentorship from some amazing people. That, of course, crashed. And I went into a small engineering company then. I wanted to go into a company where I could see the product, touch it, feel it, know that it knew that it cost a pound, you could sell it for a pound 50 and, and the fundamentals of good business were restored essentially, you know, sell something, make a profit and ensure you collect the cash and there's cash in the bank. No VCs, no private equity. Oh, I like no this already. This is, this is, this is, <laughs> it's funny because I was talking to someone the other day just to jump in on this about um, someone came to me and said, oh, you know, do you work with um, a lot of investor-backed businesses these days? And I said, actually, I don't because quite often they've got someone around the table who <laughs> doesn't usually want me around the table at that point in time. But uh, it's it's quite nice if you can – sometimes it's called bootstrapping, but I don't quite like that term either. But, yeah. you know, focusing on profitability, right, uh, and – that it's it's massive, isn't it? It's just, it's- Abs- absolutely. Come back. It's cliched for a reason. Sales is vanity, profit sanity, and cash is reality. And and I remember getting asked for uh, to create a uh, the, the the formula for cash burn or what was the cash burn? And this was in the previous business. I, cash burn. What's that? It was this crazy metric that you you provided to the venture capitalists a number of months by which you were burning through the cash that yeah. they had actually invested in business. So Burn rates, all, is a, is, is, yeah. as we used to call it in the VC land. And, <laughs> so, and uh, like the stressful CEO who'd be sitting there just watching the number dwindle down, wondering at what point things were going to kind of accelerate. <laughs> absolutely. So the business that I went into was a very traditional engineering business, really small business, 15 people, we were turning over about uh, 3 million euro for your US listeners, $4 million. Yeah. And most of the business was coming from Ireland. Now, I became, I went in as finance director, small business. The, the founder was your classic founder, entrepreneur, loved the product development, loved the, the sales, but didn't like anything in between. Didn't like any of the other bits. Uh, so it was the shiny new stuff and dealing with customers. And I became CEO then within a few years back in, it was just actually before the global financial crisis, uh, late 2006, early 2007. And to give you a sense then as to why we wrote the book, I, I'd have categorized kind of five personas of, of those who don't achieve scale. And I was a newbie. So I can't. I'll go through them now. Let's let's <laughs> jump in there because because what what are what are, you were a newbie at that point? But what, I was a newbie. Yeah. What are you now? So, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, well, uh, what I am now is a scaler. So the, the, the those who scale, just to give some color and context to this, in the UK alone there are five point seven million SMEs. We're jumping about a bit, but I'll give you this. That's all right. There's five point okay. seven million SMEs. And they contribute two trillion pounds worth of revenue to the UK economy. So SMEs are significant. And actually in the UK alone, 99% of businesses by volume are SMEs. And more than 70% of us actually work in SMEs. So they impact every aspect of our lives, our communities, our societies, our economies. And uh, what I didn't appreciate is that Currently, there are only 34,000 SMEs achieving scale. So that's 0.6%. Now, when I was in the CEO role for, what, 16, oh, in the business for about 17 years, CEO role for, for uh, 12 years. And we achieved what we call scale, what we now know to be Give us scale. the, we don't 100% agree on this, and that's not necessarily from your perspective, but there sure. is a definition of scale. 
right? Which I've always, sure. you know, thrown out the window, but um, not because it's yours, yeah. because it's like the Institute's, but just give us what the definition is on the yeah, textbook. So, so the Institute, um, what you're referring to there is yeah. the Scale-Up Institute in the UK. So the Institute actually lean on the OECD uh, definition, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And the OECD is the coming together of 38 countries, including uh, North America, Australia, a lot of European countries. And that's probably the most... Uh, the most unified definition, and it's 20% year-on-year average annualized growth over a three-year period as measured by employee growth or revenue growth. Or not both together? It can be as well, but if you're... So so it can be like number of staff that you've brought on. Correct. But the the thing I find fascinating, not that I want to um, talk about this the whole time, of course, but the thing I find fascinating is... First, firstly, in my world of private equity, that would have you, you'd lose your job for that, right? Yeah, if you were growing like that, because it would be not enough. And then, but what you said beforehand is only 0.6 of businesses, SMEs, I think you yep. said, are actually even achieving that. Yep. Uh, so what are they? What are they growing at? What's the average? So that's they're growing at an average of 20% year on year. That's it. Doesn't then drill into how? Oh, okay. So they're by. so 20% is the threshold. You've got to be above it, so you can consider scaling. So if it, I was growing at 10% every year. Be- you wouldn't be considered a scale-up. Right. But if I was growing at 100% uh, every you year. Cons- oh, for a three-year period, either in employee growth yeah, or I- revenue growth, you would be considered a scale-up. Okay. But there isn't like categories within that. It's either the, the blanket definition is 20% either below or above, and that defines you as being being in scale-up or not. Correct. Got it. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. That That makes sense. It's. I mean, um, you've got to put a label to this. I do get that. Okay. I, of, of course. And, and ultimately then, you know, it's understanding well, what categorizes those and characterizes those who achieve scale versus those that don't. And, you know, we arrived, and again, jumping about a little bit, but we arrived at a point where our vision is to inspire, connect and enable millions of ambitious leaders of SMEs to scale with purpose, because ultimately the impact that these that these companies have on their on their teams, on their organizations, on their communities and society and economic, you know, the economies at large is significant. So I'll go back then to kind of the so I, I became the CEO. And just to give you a little bit of context then as to, I suppose, let's say the scaling credentials. Over the course of my tenure, I, you know, I was very fortunate, very privileged to work with and bring in a wonderful leadership team. And, and we delivered over that period about $750 million, three, three quarters of a billion dollars in cumulative revenue over that period, profitable, so more than $75 million profit. We, all our growth was organic. So we were cash rich coming from my days of the, the dot com and saying, you know, we ain't doing that again. Uh, we were cash rich and we actually grew our head count to more than 700 people with offices across six continents and exported our equipment to more than 100 countries. So you, so weren't, we, a, you weren't an SME at that point. You're a large No, company. exactly. So I went through, you know, what, why, what qualifies me to write a book in this? Well, I came into a 15-person co- company and in my kind of uh, mid-late 20s, became CEO in my early 30s, left this business in my 40s. I became a very different person, became a very different leader at all of the different inflection points as the company scale. We went from being a, a small company, a medium-sized company, to ultimately a large company. And, uh, and I thought everybody was doing this, you know. Uh, and as it turns out then, whenever I left and reflected, 
clearly they weren't. And I, hence we, we, we began the research for the book, connected with the Scale Up Institute, realized they're, you know, they're, the, they're one of the most notable institutes globally on scale ups because they do, they do focus, they're not for profit and they focus on collecting the data and, and they do a lot of research around scale ups. So, so I lent heavily certainly on, on their research to support what we were doing. And I interviewed uh, scores of s- successful leaders, leaders within Gymshark, for example, you'll be very familiar with, your listeners will, yep. uh, a, a prolific scale up. Skyscanner, for example, Mark Logan, scores of others across the globe. And ultimately, I had definition around the principles of scaling. And through that process, many of those actually reaffirmed the principles that we had defined myself and Claire. So let's go through the five personas, you know, relatively sure, quickly, because yeah. I want to get into the, the, the 10 principles that you have in the book. Sure. Yeah. So, so you said before, it was newbie one or not? Yeah, so new, I was a newbie. So newbie is a persona. So you've got this the, the new newly appointed CEO with no previous CEO experience. Now, now what was I guilty of? What are newbie CEOs typically guilty of? Well, lots of change. They want to make an impact straight away. So they're 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 trigger happy with lots of new initiatives to really put their mark. And that comes from a little bit of imposter syndrome and a little bit of kind of wanting to, you know, look at me, I'm the new person here, uh, and and I must you know, I must stamp my presence on this business. It must be felt very, very quickly. So that that's your newbie. Okay. We've got the second generation leader and we see a lot of these it, certainly through our program. What's, the, what's, what's that? Second generation. second generation leader is typically the son and it, and it typically is the son of, of the founder who is typically the father. Okay. Succession and planning, the, son goes in to be the CEO. The, and, and often it's, nepotism that that has justified his his appointment the the son oftenly often is operating still whilst they've got the ceo title they've been given that the father's still lurking around the business and they're operating within the shadow of the father you've got to watch the have you watched succession no no they didn't watch it no. It's like there's only two shows I watch: Billions and Succession. Oh, you wow! Watch, you watch no. Billions? You must watch. No, Billions. I haven't. I don't watch oh. any TV. I don't. God, <laughs> you got to watch these. Well, they, these are business shows um, yeah, hidden I, behind the. But really the reason I bring it up is Succession is, I think it's loosely. Um, loosely made on uh, Rupert Murdoch. So I've got right. quite an interesting play in it because I used to work for him. But um, And Lachlan was the guy who took over the business. But uh, it's basically this older gentleman who has this massive media empire and um, he sort of steps away and his son is supposed to step in, but it then, it then gets very chaotic. I'm not going to ruin it for anyone listening or for you actually, Brendan. But, um, <laughs> but it's in the shadows and not really stepping away is a very good characteristic of that show. Well, there we go. So, and it's very, very difficult for the second generation leader because it was their, they're pursuing often their father's dream. It's not their dream, it's their father's dream. And they feel that they've got an obligation to their father rather than actually pursuing their own purpose and vision. So these businesses are successful typically, but they, this second generation leader will lack a level of purpose and vision. He'll have all the toys and all the, all the, all the shiny things that come with being the son of a successful get founder. It. I get it. Uh, but lacks purpose and vision. Then, then we have the graduate. The graduate is the, the person who has started up a business. They've graduated from startup school and they, they've got the product market fit. now, And they believe what got them to here. Now the starting line of, of, you know, the scale up journey 
will get them to there. And it doesn't. It's a very, very different. We're going to jump into that specific point in a minute. Okay, got that. No, the graduate. Then, then, then we have the the dead man walking. So the dead man walking is the person, and you and I have both met lots of these who have started a business to gain freedom from their previous employer, to design their own destiny, to create you know their their working day, and they've woken up with 30, 40, 50 people, maybe now handling three phones. They're completely fatigued. They're caught and trapped in the balls of the business and they don't know how to get out. And every day they go back into that business and do more activity. The bars are just getting thicker and thicker. So that's their dead man walking. Now they don't perceive scaling as a way out. They just don't know how to get out. And, and then we have the comfort zone warrior. So this is the, this is the person who has worked hard, has founded a successful business and now what they want to do is put a big fence around that business and tell the world to stop just no more. Don't, go away, VUCA world. We don't want to deal with volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. They want to just put a big fence around and keep things the way they are. And, uh, you know, ultimately, you cannot do that, as you and I know. So those are the five in the 99% category who don't achieve scale. And then we have the scalers. Okay, got it. And, and, and what's the definition of a scaler? Well, that's someone who's achieved scale, who has led the business to achieve what we uh, define. Okay, so they've, the they've managed to. Year on year. Okay, yeah. got it. Okay, so that's, so that's the definition. Okay, got it. All right, let's get into, let's get into um, the various principles you've got, and then we're going to dive into sure. one and get practical. So sure. you've got 10, and I've always said there's a lot in here, but you've just come back to me before we press record and said it has to be like that, <laughs> that, that which, which, I, which I want to play around with the philosophy as well, yeah. which I like to Brilliant. do here. So let's, let's rattle through the 10 sure. um, and a quick definition of them. Right. Sure. And then let's talk about them a bit. I think that'd yeah. be cool. And then we can get into one that we think just jumps out, which can help some people today. How's that yeah. sound? Yeah. Brilliant. No, love that. You know, and often I get asked, you know, why simple scaling? Scaling isn't simple. Of course, it's not simple. And it's a paradox in itself. But what we believe and lean on heavily is the Einstein quote, everything in life should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. And we believe mm-hmm. Good, certainly I like that. Get, given our own experience and the experience of all of those that we've spoken to. And you and I both know the real privilege of hosting a podcast. You get to speak to some amazing people across the globe. And so it's 10 principles and they're aligned to three themes. Actually, the three themes are inspire, orientate, and accelerate. So I'll just take you through them. They're all P's yeah. to, to help people remember. So we start off with psyche and the psyche is mindset. What's mindset? It's at a very simple level. It's just, it's a collection of beliefs. It's the mental lens by which we see the world and yeah. interpret the world. We move on to purpose and vision and and purpose and vision is together as one principle, because ultimately your vision is simply the ultimate manifestation of your purpose. So it's Mm -hmm. where am I going and why am I going there? So define why you want to do something in the first place. And then what's the ultimate manifestation of that? You know, if if you were to dream, if you had a magic wand, what's the ultimate uh, picture of your purpose coming to life? Then we get on to people. So once, again, aligned to the Inspire theme, once you've inspired yourself in terms of having a scaling mindset, you've created your, your purpose and vision in terms of why and where, then you inspire others to come on board. You inspire others to follow you. And, and that's how you, you attract the people to the business. Your purpose and vision will act like a magnet to, to others. There is, you know, we talk about the great resignation. Essentially, it's a great, it's a great awakening 
people who are now much more conscious around purpose and vision. So they want to follow leaders who have that great purpose and vision. Then those, so, you know, that those three principles align to the Inspire theme. Then we come on to, to orientate. We get into planning principle number four. So we deconstruct the vision from 10 years down into three years, down into one year, down into 90 day objectives and key results. And we embedded objectives and key results into our business with a, with great success. And that's a, that's a methodology taken from Andy Grove back in Intel in the eighties, socialized by John Doerr in his book, Measure What Matters. And so a wonderful way to, to actually deconstruct a vision into something that that's actually practical as well. Absolutely. I get it. Absolutely. Then we get into process and systems and you and I, we speak a lot about this, you know, ultimately systems, will set the leader free and provide the leader with the capacity to continue to expand into their, their vision. So process and systems, it follows planning because once you understand what the plan looks like, then you can examine then the, the robustness of your existing processes and systems in terms of undergirding your scaling ambition. Then we move into performance. So look, all world-class people and those operating, as I mentioned the outset, in the 1% measure their performance. So we look at the plan and go, well, what does world-class look like if we execute to this plan? And they'll put performance metrics in place. Back to the objectives and key results, essentially they'll define what those key results are in terms of what world-class performance looks like in relation to their plan. Then we move into to accelerate. And those who, principle number seven, proposition. So ultimately, those leaders who excel and scale understand the need that they're servicing, or the problem they're solving, they understand innately the value that they bring. And, and we use the little, uh, you know, we created an acronym value. So the V stands for vagueness skills. If you don't know this, if you don't know what value you bring to your customers, then how do you expect anybody else within your business who's customer facing to understand the value that they're likely to bring? What happens there that you tend to get in stuck in the features of the product that you're selling and worse still, those who can't articulate the value then get into the price battle. And, and that's, you know, you're, we talk about taking a bungee jump off Margin Killer Canyon at that stage. So where's that Where's that place? <laughs> a Margin Killer Canyon? Is that a Margin, <laughs> margin <laughs> Killer Canyon. <laughs> I've heard that before. Got it. So, no, I, I, I coined that term, you know, because I've seen it so often. Those salespeople who couldn't articulate the value would always come back to me. Oh, you know what? We're too expensive. Go, no, no, you haven't understood what the customer really needs and the value that we can bring to their business. So, you know, the A stands for alleviate the pain. The L stands for leverage the gain. The U stands for understand it from the customer's perspective. We would spend a lot of time with customers to understand what it is where their real pain points before we ever talked about our product, just to listen to them and get the pain points. And then the E stands for evangelize it from the customer's perspective. Don't you talk about your features and don't even talk about features at all. Get the customer to go online and share their story and they will want to share their story because it demonstrates to the world how wonderful they are at making great decisions in terms of the, the customer or the, the supplier that they've chosen to partner with to, to support their business. So then we get into place every scale up will seek to break new boundaries, either in taking their product or service into another geographical region beyond borders or into another industry. It's just within their DNA. And having been brought up in Ireland, I'm very, very fortunate because this is just in our DNA. We're in a small island. 
less than 6 million people. We just, when we start a business, we think of exporting. We think of how do we, how do we get it into the UK? How do we get it into Europe? How do we get it into North America? It's just in our DNA. Um, then we get into the ninth principle partnerships. And that's about the who, not the how. How, how do we accelerate our, our scaling ambition? Not in getting bogged down on how we could possibly do it, but who could actually support us in enabling our purpose and vision in a, in a new market or in a new industry. And all of that is brought together back to the Inspire theme with a positive growth culture. And that is the launch pad for everything. So understanding, you know, every business has a culture. It's being deliberately intentional to cultivate the behaviors that you want to see within the business aligned to the values which you've ascribed. So that's a quick tour. I've just compressed 20 years, 400 pages into five minutes. If, if I didn't push you, then, then I wouldn't be doing my job, right? So I had to, I had to, <laughs> and, you, and you can't start out with saying, you can't say, you know, sim, simple is important and be called simple scaling if you can't communicate yeah, abso- it precisely. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Good. Okay. So there's a lot of those I've touched on. Um, let's, let's have a, a bit of a riff around these a little bit here because we talked about where does acquisitions fit when I was on your show, actually, and that mm-hmm. was a great conversation a few weeks back now um and we said that sort of kind of comes into partnerships a little bit um in that way but out of all of these think about your journey for a second Mm -hmm. right what what was is there anything that kind of you know you you effectively i suppose accelerated your position within that company more than anything else uh and was there anything here that you just was maybe a blind spot for you personally and now looking back in hindsight has become clearer those are brilliant questions Brilliant questions. Uh, Thank you. I like to be present. (laughs) Well, it's a good methodology. So therefore it it then makes me think, you see, which is cool. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, So, so let me take the first part of that. What, what really, what really unfolded as, as I continued to mature in my leadership position within the business and it would be the set. Well, there's two parts of this, but the second one first in a professional sense and the first one psyche from a personal yeah. sense, because I, um, I assert that you must lead self first before you lead others, before you lead an organization. So we'll get into a little bit about what leading self looks like from a, from a psyche and a mindset for scaling. But purpose right. and vision, let me, let me take you through a little story very quickly, Nick. I was handed a book, the Simon Sinek book, Start With Why. Yep. A number of years ago, and I had already, I was in my early 40s at this stage, and we hadn't defined purpose. You'll recall in those early days, you know, people will talk about vision, they'll talk about mission, they'll talk about uh, values, they'll talk, uh, but I often find that vision and mission often got confused. We don't talk about mission at all. We talk about vision and purpose. Where are you going? Why are you going there? But I was handed this book, Simon. I, I, I came across it and uh, got the book. It's defaced now, absolutely defaced. And that's kind of evoked for me. I was into my 40s. I think I can speak to, to a lot of your listeners. In our 20s, we're, we're busy worrying about our careers. We get, you know, maybe find our life partner at that stage. In our 30s, we're starting to build a family. You know, the for me, the career was, there was a linear, you know, just, a, it was a great trajectory where we're, we were doing things quite well. Okay. The global financial crisis was, <laughs> was a challenge in the middle of all of that, but essentially you arrive into your forties and go, what, what, why, why am I doing this? 
well, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a flight to Calcutta on a Saturday night. I've just left my family, my wife and three kids. I'm not going to see them for 10 days. And I'm sitting on that flight and I'm like, what, why am I doing this? And the, the Simon Sinek book, he talks about people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And that, that started then a thought process for me very quickly thereafter. I was reading an in-flight magazine, a profile of a lady called Margot Hoek. Margot Hoek's a Dutch author of this wonderful book called The Trillion Dollar Shift. And she's an authority on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Yep. Now, Margot is, she's a business lady, first and foremost. She's not an environmentalist. She's not a tree hugger. And, but you could really relate to what Margot was saying. She said there's a $12 trillion opportunity for businesses out there who are able to define their purpose, articulate their purpose, and actually do some good for the planet, good, do good by their people, and ultimately they will be more profitable as a byproduct. I thought that really resonates with me. And I went down the, the rabbit hole of the UN SDGs. Finally, then the third bit of that, I met a lady, Kieran Pereira. Now, Kieran Pereira is this Indian lady who has got a wonderful website and book called Sand Stories. Now, I didn't realize we were producing equipment for mines and quarries across the globe to help mm -hmm. quarries mine sand and aggregate for construction. Now, what Kieran shared with me is that in the dead of night, when she was a kid, she would be woken up by this heavy machinery that would come into her village. They would illegally excavate the mine from her, the riverbed that supplied the water to her village, and this contaminated the water in the village. Further to that, people challenged these people who were illegally mining, and there were a number of villagers killed as a result. As it turns out, there is a global sand crisis. Today, we are consuming sand at twice the rate which the world can sustain. After water, sand is the most used commodity on the planet, and it's the third most prolific crime globally, illegal sand mining. So after drug trafficking and money laundering, illegal sand mining is, is a global prolific crime. Hundreds of people every year are killed by these, this illegal sand mafia. So I was saying, Jesus, we're... <laughs> I, must, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> I mean, we, we might have spoken about it briefly, I think, but yeah, okay. It's like, bang, the why unveils itself. We're, we, we can change this industry. We already were developing technology which could process construction and demolition waste, materials that were going to landfill, buried over, never to be used again. And we could process this material and it could be used in 60% of the world's construction applications. I'm going, Jesus, we, we're playing right at the heart of this and, and at the heart of kind of four or five of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So ultimately, through a process, we defined our own corporate purpose at that stage, our company purpose, championing sustainability to create a new world of resource. And that, so purpose and vision has been really strong with me. And at a personal level, you know, now, I, why am I doing this? It, my purpose informs every interaction that I have, everything that I do, everything in my calendar for the next two years, you know, is informed by my purpose to inspire, connect, and enable ambitious leaders of SMEs to scale with purpose. And there's a little acronym in there, inspire, connect, and enable, which is coming from ICE, which is at a profound impact on me on a personal level. Oh, which yes. Brings, <laughs> which brings me into psyche. So that that's the purpose, purpose and vision is so critically important, Nick, and, and informs then for, for all of the leaders listening. I know there's a lot of talk about purpose. There's a lot of talk about vision. But if you don't know where you're going, 
how on earth do you expect anybody to be attracted into your business to want to follow you? So, you know, create that mental picture and don't, don't just create a purpose, a kind of purpose wash just for the quick, quick people are talking about purpose. We need to get purpose. What, you know, just find something. Go back into the, the archives if, it, if it's, why did you start this business in the first place? And don't say, you know, just, well, to make loads of money. Well, people won't follow you if your purpose is, well, to come on board and make me loads of money. They just won't. So this is the reason why you would scale. Why did you create the business? It, it, almost 99% of the time, it's to do something better than you've seen it done before. It's something purposeful um it's something that's so what happened to your business then so let's just just before we jump into um the psyche piece um again i'm just jumping back to the calcutta flight piece so you read this article at what stage was your business at that point before you came back with maybe a more inspired vision yeah this is probably this was pro i retired from it in uh late 2019 early 2020 so this is probably about 2016 27 right. yeah so and did you change a lot of the the, the corporate y- strategy as a result of it uh so the the strategy was informed typically by the vision but yes now we started to say well, look if this doesn't align so actually we had a conversation within the business to say should we only provide equipment that recycles construction demolition waste as opposed to equipment that mines, that helps mine natural virgin sand and areas because if Mother Nature's not making any more of it, ultimately we want to direct and change an industry here to direct people towards CMD. And this started to, once you find your purpose, it starts to, it starts to pose a question on everything that you're doing. When, you, when you're getting a little bit lost, ask yourself, where am I going in terms of you know, does this align with, with the direction of travel? And why does it align with the purpose of, of, of why we're going there? And that creates great clarity. So yes, we, we would have uh, then in turn used the purpose to inform decision-making and also to actually uh, attract people into the business. It changed the conversation when it mm-hmm. came to recruiting and attracting people in. So very good. Nicely answered too. All right, so let's play around. Now, we want to finish the last five minutes or so talking about one of the principles and probably my favorite, if I'm honest. Um, probably It goes back to why I started the bloody show, this thing. Um, and that's psyche. Uh, mindset may be another way of positioning it, but it doesn't start with a P, so we don't want to confuse people. But <laughs> let's just talk about the importance of this and we can riff backwards and forwards and talk about some of our own personal thoughts around it, I think would be cool. Because um, you know people ask me all the time, how important is it in business? And I say it's up there, I say 70 to 80% comes down to mindset. Because, you know, if you can't control the environment of which you operate in emotionally, mentally, to some extent, physically, which we'll talk about, then how you show up and how you uh, make an impact on others uh, isn't congruent and therefore not successful. So what are your thoughts on this? Completely agree. You and I are both absolutely aligned on this. And, and again, you asked me an earlier question, you know, what are some of the things that you might have changed earlier? I, I absolutely assert lead self first before you lead others, before you lead an organization, just to, to reaffirm that. But what does lead self mean? Starts off with awareness, self-awareness, awareness about how, 
how you're received. Now, there are practical tools that, that you can put in place, like 360s, but you know, bring a circle of friends together, drop them an email and say, look, I'm really thinking about the direction of travel here. Uh, you know, what is it that, that you really, what is it that you really admire in terms of what I do? And what is it that really grates on you in terms of what I do? And you can do that with a kind of a, a circle of friends. Just don't ask your wife. <laughs> don't ask your you're wife. Not, you're not gonna you're not gonna get an objective <laughs> view, right? On that. But that that awareness of how do I respond in situations? How do I, how do people perceive me? You know, we often, for example, I, I'll give you a great example. My, back to the, the finance background. I'm blue-brained by the Herman Hole brain. Now, sometimes people get mm-hmm. mixed in the colors because Myers-Briggs, I think, has, has different colors. But on the Herman Hole brain, I'm blue-brained, which is rational, lo- logical, analytical, fact-based. Well, you're so an you're accountant, com- so that's why. There we go. So, uh <laughs> So if you're coming in to present an idea to me, I want to see, I'm going to ask you for the facts and figures. I want to see a spreadsheet. I want to see, and certainly this was me whenever I was a leader. Now, our talent director was red. And that's people focused, very empathetic. It's all about how is this going to make me feel? So she's not concerned if you're pitching an idea with spreadsheets, you're going to bore the backside off people. They're not, they're going to tune out. But actually, if you articulate a story as to how this is going to make things different in the future, how this is going to change things, how, how, how you're going to fail as a result of us embarking in this initiative, then you've got them. Now, I couldn't understand for years why somebody couldn't see what I could see from these plans, from these spreadsheets. And what I realized was, they were red, not, not blue. And so having that awareness in yourself in terms of both, and you must understand yourself first before you seek to understand others. You know, am I a good listener? How, do, I, do, I, do I talk a lot in the meetings? Am I the person who's actually, you know, 70% of the time it's dominated by my own voice? Or do I take, do I take the time to listen? Do I speak first in meetings or do I speak last? You know, it's, it's, understanding and this is so critically important in fact i'm interviewing margaret heffernan for the podcast uh, later today actually and an amazing lady and i i recommend to your listeners to to go online she's a wonderful ted talk all around super chickens we're not getting into that now but essentially she talks about the the mortar between the bricks what happens so you know if you think of using the a building as a metaphor for a team where the the people are the bricks what happens between people at an emotional level, at a collaborative level, at a, at, a, at a level where we connect, she talks about social capital, is ultimately the glue that binds the bricks together. And that's what solidifies teams. And that's what forms a, a positive growth culture. But you can only do that whenever you seek to become aware yourself. And then there are practices, of course, you know, I'm a big fan of the CAM app, I meditate after a, a, a huge fan of the Wim Hof method. Uh, I became an instructor over the last couple of years. Physically, I'm, I believe in the four quarters. Look after yourself physically. Uh, that's my number one value in life. So I prioritize my health and well-being, number one. That creates the scaffolding support I need to be mentally strong, emotionally strong, to be there for others in terms of the, the, the important relationships. And also, you know, just to feel a connectedness to other things. So... We could have a 
podcast and this alone, Nick, I'm conscious that uh... I'm gonna I'm gonna keep you in check. I'm just letting you go for now. So I've got I've got questions banked up. <laughs> no, I mean one of the things um well, I would I do want to play with is when I asked you that question a number of years ago, that question was a vision question. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't go as far as I normally go, but when I said about, you know, if you were looking back from your life three years mm-hmm. and it was the most amazing three years you've ever had, mm-hmm. it was really understanding if you were coming back from an idea of what you wanted to create. Right. So one of my thoughts is, and, and I, and I do this is like what you said, the, the importance of having purpose and vision in business is as important, if not more important than your own life, because if you don't know where you're taking your own life, right. Your own direction, right. You have no real, clarity, energy, you know, um, ability sometimes to actually get there, not because you don't know where you're going, but you're just not going to be able to ride with both the positives and the negatives that are going to come along. So that, that was, that was what I asked you. So the question I've got for you is, are you clear now on your personal vision? Absolutely. I actually wrote an article about this at the start of the year, published on medium 10 F in ways to make 22, yep. 2022 a brilliant year and I and I it was all F's so you know and I, and I start with my fitness you know yeah. so so am I physically and mentally fit uh family my second priority because nice. it's back to the you know putting your own oxygen mask on first if I'm physically and mentally fit then I'm there from then I can be available to my wife and the three kids you know, I, I, if I'm not looking after myself physically, mentally, emotionally, then I can't be available to, to my family. So, so that's the priority number one. Uh, priority number two, family, friends. You know, then we get into kind of finances, faith, you know, having figureheads around you. People like yourself, Nick, who had reached out to and connected. And, and I positive figureheads in your life. And I'm, I'm very deliberately intentional about who I have in my life. Are they radiators or are they drains? Do they bring good energy? Are they supportive? Are they critical friends? Are they, uh, are they encouraging? When I meet them, do I come away? If I, if I grab a breakfast, I know if we, if, if we have a chat, I'm coming away and going, Jeez, I'm buzzing now. Right, I need to, I need, I need to create another program. <laughs> oh, don't, yeah, yeah. Don't have too many conversations with me. I probably, I, I have, a, I have a, 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 a sort of a skill of, of making people think a little bit bigger sometimes. Um, so, but I mean, you've you've done. I mean, I've, I've connected with you because we do share a lot of the same values around these things. I think, and what I do want to do is is kind of take some of what you've done and now just turn it into a bit of practicality for people. So let's sure. assume you've got your programs that you run. Is your program called the Scalex yeah, program? Yes, so the Scalex Accelerator program, yeah. So when someone turns up, right, yeah. who's who's wanting to scale, right, yeah. in that thing, and, and you come into this part of your uh, methodology and we talk about mindset and psyche, what do you recommend people do? Firstly, is it the same thing for everybody or is it a number of options and people have to then lean into the things they want? I'm just curious how you start to address mindset. Yeah, that's a great question. So we, I think of, I think of the program, I'm quite structured. So I think of the program in, in the, in the, it's a year long. And I think of, I describe it to the participants as a map. So the M is the methodology, the 10 principle methodology. The A is our approach, lead self first before you lead others, before you lead an organization. And the P is practice. And the practice that we advocate is the Wim Hof method. Now, why the Wim Hof method? First of all, I love the structure. It's three pillars. They, yeah, so I sent you that book some years ago. It's a brilliant book. It is a great and, book. Uh, so, and again, really simple structure, but so profound. 
three pillars focuses on mindset, developing mindset through cold exposure and through conscious breathing. So we actually take CEOs through the Wim Hof method. And the Wim Hof method is a wonderful, like facing an ice bath is a metaphor in many respects for scaling. You will feel the same level of anxiety standing in front of an ice bath, standing to face an ice bath, as you will the moment that you decide that you're going to 10x this business. And you, when you, when you face your team for the very first time and you articulate and communicate publicly to your team and then beyond your team, you're going to feel that shallow breath. You're going to, uh, your, your sympathetic nervous system is going to be all over the place. You're going to be sweating, dry mouth. It's, it's not going to feel very comfortable. And we train our participants, our CEOs, on getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because scaling by its very nature is uncomfortable but the rewards are immense. So we, so we start at the base level of, I, I use the metaphor, scale Everest. We start at the base of scale Everest. And we said, we want to get you up to the summit of scale Everest. And we want to get you up there. So you arrive at the top and you go, I, that has personally and professionally challenged me like nothing else I've ever encountered in my life. But I feel bloody great. You know, and my relationships my, my important critical relationships are intact. My partners there are going, wow, look at the person you've become as a result of this. And my team are going, we weren't so sure about you taking us up here, but Jesus, what a ride. You know, what, what a journey. Now we're ready to go again, to, to, to go again. So, so we, we train people for this through the Wim Hof method and give them the tools. You know, when, when you get that really difficult email from, customer who says you're not winning the business again next year you've let us down there or from a, a challenging employee we give them the tools through the conscious breath uh, to deal with that situation because actually from an evolutionary perspective really we haven't evolved a lot <laughs> since the uh, since we lived in caves and foraged for food so the, the the tools to deal with the challenges of scaling come back to Development of the mindset from the Wim Hof method through the cold exposure and through the, the, the regular conscious breathing. And this has a whole host. We were chatting off air before you came on about, you know, your, sadly, your friend with cardiovascular disease uh, suffered a premature heart attack. And that's, that's tragic. What people don't know is that we have 100,000 kilometers of veins and arteries and blood vessels in our bodies. That's enough to go around the world two and a half times. And we don't bloody exercise it. We don't, we're, we're sitting in our nicely kind of uh, air-conditioned homes or central heated homes. We're clothed. We're, we don't expose ourselves to the cold anymore. What do we say to our kids on a cold day? You know, get wrapped up, put a coat on before you go out, you'll get to death. And, you know, we didn't have this. This isn't the way we existed, you know, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. So this is about getting back to nature, back, back to the awareness piece, back in touch with ourselves. So, and and uh, the Wim Hof method triggers something at an emotional level. I, I couldn't believe the very first retreat I went on. It was actually, uh, my, wife had, well, my wife had bought it for, for, uh, for a wedding anniversary. And she had said to me, it was 36 hours. And I said, we arrived at 
long story short. Did she was, go with you or was it just she? She came with me. So there's a story oh, behind the story because people don't normally just rock up at a Wim Hof retreat. So there's a story behind the story. But anyway, she booked this for a wedding anniversary. And we arrived. She disclosed as we were going that it was uh, vegan. And I love my meat. It was uh, a non-alcohol venue. I love my red wine. And we were going to be doing this with 15 others. I thought, it's her wedding anniversary. I would have liked some quiet time. We are still uh, in a WhatsApp group within with those 15 others, you know, um, who we met for 36 hours. Uh, and that's two and a half years on. This creates something at an emotional level that I have never experienced before as well. Like we were asked to hug one another within 15 minutes of landing in this yoga studio. I was going, ah, oh. <laughs> so like this, this is making me feel very uncomfortable. By the time we were leaving, like we, you know, just the sense of sense of connection that we had created with these people was was just profound. And if you can do that with your team, if you can if you can get over yourself as a leader and connect at an emotional level to those who are inspired by your vision and want to come along, it's just rocket fuel, Nick. So we're going to wrap things up, my friend. And I'm going to say, listen, you know the Wim Hof thing. We've talked about this quite a lot. Do yep. you? Um, so you recommend this to the people coming on? Is, has we anyone, take them through it. Has anyone take, like, I take it, I take it. It's like, if you say I'm not doing the Wim Hof thing, then I, you can't join the program, right? No, not at all. No, no, no. And again, for everyone. I'm just curious because yeah. there wouldn't be anything wrong with that, by the way. Because like, sometimes I think you've got to, you've got to be the right person for your tribe, right? Yeah, and, and it's interesting because we call anyone, you know, when we come through the Scalax Accelerator program, we use the terminology tribe. And this is something that also that, that whatever happens within the method, it creates this bond, this tribal, there is a kind of tribal feel to the actual process itself. But no, this there's no one is forced or must go into the ice. No one. But we will take them, but no one has not done it to date. Well, there you go. So <laughs> kind of answers the question, really, because, I mean, I do this as well. Not not quite to the extreme of what you do, but I have I'm in the cold shower for about Brilliant. four minutes every morning. Brilliant. I've been for years. Well, I have yeah. been now for at least 18 months. So yeah. There you go. And how do you feel as a result? I don't get sick. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. there's a whole thing with that. But but I do I do want to kind of say as we as we do wrap this up a bit, because if, if you are listening to this, right, you know, as I said, I've been doing this for ages. You've been doing it for a lot longer than me. Um, and actually, a lot of the people that I um, gravitate towards around, let's call it mindset conditioning, mm. the idea that, you know, if you can do hard things or challenging things or what most people would consider to be hard things, then as other challenges appear in your life, both personally or professionally, you are more equipped to deal with them. And that's why that's why we talk about this stuff. So I think I think the point I want to make to people listening, you know, is that it may be Wim Hof, right? Or this sort of stuff, or it may be a different type of thing. But the point is, you know, it has a massive impact in more ways than it looks from the outside. I completely agree. And what I'd say, you know, the Wim Hof method might seem extreme and Wim Hof is very popular at the moment. We've got Freeze the Fear on the TV and, and that's all fine. You've got Wim and I know Wim and I've been fortunate to, to, to get to know Wim personally. And, and he's an amazing character. And I mean, you talk about somebody with a scaling mindset. This is a guy who's achieved 26 world records, but says we can all achieve this if we take back control of our own minds and, and we're not getting into his story. It's, it's um, shared within the book and it's a tragic story, but he could have went either way here. This is a guy who could have collapsed in terms of the enormity of the tragedy that he faced, but he chose to use that as fuel for his scaling ambition. And he now is leading a global academy of 
of instructors who I'm one. This is an unemployed postman from a little village called Strew outside Amsterdam. Like the guy, when you rock up to his house, he's got a full, he's got a full size rhinoceros in his garden. He's converted his living room into a turtle sanctuary. And he's got this kind of mini cliff dive all in his garden and the hens are running around, the dogs there. And, and you know, he I might have, have I have met him personally once um, <laughs> yeah. at a Tony Robbins event, believe it or not. So I know. And he, he rocks up. He looks he looks like some guys coming off the like the homeless That's kind it. of shelter. That's it. So no, ab- absolutely. But what I would uh, you you said, you know, what, what can we leave our listeners with? Nick, uh, that's that's practical. Setting the Wim Hof method aside, you mentioned something cold showers. I would encourage everyone listening to this, and you've taken the time to listen to it, so, to, so take action on it. You know, we're both aligned in that. If you're going to take the time, take action on it. Absolutely. Try tomorrow morning when you're standing in the shower, just deliberately turn the dial around the cold. Now, as you're doing that, your little inner voice, the voice that prevents you from achieving your vision and your ambition, your real ambition, will come in and say, don't be listening to that Irish Egypt. What does he know anyway? Just step out. <laughs> Your shower's done. I'm saying override that. Override that and lean in and just start off with 15 seconds. And the next day, try it again. Build it up to 20 seconds, 25 seconds. And at the end of 20 days, build up to two minutes. And what you're doing is training, training your mind to silence that little critical, annoying, annoying inner voice and actually build a mindset of resilience that's going to support your scaling ambition. There we go. And that's a nice way to, that's a nice way to finish the show. And also it's not just the ranting guy, you know, Brendan McGurgan, it's also me saying this. So there we go. That's two, two crazy dudes <laughs> saying it. So Brendan, um, so your book for people who want to read it is, as I've got it here, Simple Scaling, the 10 Proven Principles to 10X Your Business. And your website is simplescaling.com, I believe. Is that correct? Brilliant. That's it, Nick. Yep. Awesome. Well, listen, mate, it's been great having you on the show and great to see um, your own journey and evolution over these last few years. It's always Thank encouraging you. when someone that I've known for a while, you know, in, in the sort of world of coming into this podcasting and all that sort of thing, <laughs> and then you see them taking action and and now you're on the show. Here you go. See, there's some inspiration for anybody. Anybody can do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Believe me, whenever I first started this, that was my biggest ice bath. So there's a, a little annoying, annoying <laughs> voice said, you don't have to be doing this. Just don't well, you're doing, doing it now, this. mate. You're on the roller coaster. <laughs> all right. There so we well, listen, thank you for coming on the show today with all your wisdom for, uh, for our listeners. It's been a delight as always spending some time with you, mate. So I just want to say thank you very much. You're very welcome. It's been a real delight to speak with you today. Nick. Take care. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.